But this choir was singing, The King is Coming. And they sung it, and this is how their faces looked. The King is Coming! Oh, God! Oh! I thought if I was the king, I don't know if I'd come or not to a group like that. But I think <laughs> if you really love him, if you really want to see him coming, we might sing it with a different expression on our voices and our faces. The king is coming. Hallelujah. And we're going to see the king when he comes. Amen. Maybe some of us are not wanting to see him right now. Maybe we need a little more time to primp up a little bit and take care of a few little things we haven't taken care of. But if he wanted to come today, I just wonder how many would like to see him today. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I've already taken a few vacations, and I've already gone hunting a few times. I've already got children and grandchildren, and I've seen life. And I, I really believe I'm ready for change. I actually believe I am. I'd like to see the king. Praise the Lord. Well, while you're standing, I want to preach today, teach whatever I'm supposed to do. I kind of, I feel reluctant to say that I'm a teacher because it almost seems like you're putting yourself up a little bit to want to be a teacher. But uh, if I know something you don't know, that doesn't mean that, that I'm smarter than you. It just means that I might know something you don't know. And there's possibly a lot of things you know that I don't know. But uh, we teach each other. But this is a, a, a planned camp meeting with a planned moment for an area that we give over to teaching. And uh, I appreciate the confidence of being asked to conduct this afternoon's study. And the subject today that I've chosen, and I hope it's what the will of the Lord is, is living on the bright side. Living on the bright side. Hallelujah. Appreciated Brother McMullen's preaching last night. By no means, uh, I feel like that none of us have a corner on this great revelation. And uh, he was sort of mentioning to me that he was kind of apologizing in a sense of maybe getting over into the area he thought I might be working, but no apologies necessary. I thought he'd done a wonderful job. And uh, so I want, to, I want to continue in the same vein, if, uh, that is, if you don't mind us talking about our most cardinal truth. Amen. If you take this truth away from us, uh, we're, we're like a balloon without any wind. Thank God there's not anything to us without this truth. Oh, hallelujah. I was just talking to Brother Lee today about uh, different types of fuel. And you can actually throw a, por a fork full of hay in your fireplace, and it'll make a hot fire. But you better not go to bed expecting to stay warm at night because you're going to wake up with frost on the old nose. But if you put a good old oak, uh, bank, it, bank it up with some oak logs, it takes at least about three, and uh, that fuel will uh, stay in there and keep you warm through the cold. Hallelujah. I believe that our doctrine will give you something to think about when you're driving down the road alone. 
Amen. I like something we can use tomorrow rather than just something for the moment. And an emotional blessing is a beautiful thing, and I love them. And I, I do date back in my memory to some emotional blessings that I can still remember and draw from. Amen. But the basis, the foundation, the thing that holds me is that there's no place, as the apostles said, Lord, unto whom would we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. And there's something different about this church than any other church. Of course, I realize that this church, we're talking about the church that, that is being founded just uh, recently, Brother McMullen, I'm talking about this church. The church is what I'm talking about. Man. That there's no other church in this entire area like this church. We have truth. All other churches, they're, they're like the building that the congregation left. Amen. It's just uh, it's a vacant building, no better than than a beer joint. I know that might blow your minds, but it's true. I want to read from um, our first verse. Would be Second Corinthians, fourth chapter, three through six, and then we'll let you be seated. I, you'll appreciate this being able to stand up for a few minutes. I always do when somebody lets me stand. I love it. All right, third chapter, oh, fourth chapter, second Corinthians, third and through the sixth verses. If our gospel be hid, <clears throat> now I don't think that's a question, if it be hid. I think that's a, a conclusion that has already been established. If our gospel be hid, and it is, then who is it hid from? The scripture said if our gospel be hid, it's hid to the lost. That means if they can't see it, they're lost. Now, I don't know how you read it, but that's how I read it. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. To whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And there's a reason. Because he didn't want the light to shine into their hearts. Lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Before we're seated, I'd just like to add this little statement that in, before we're qualified to preach, before we have a proper inspiration for preaching or teaching, I believe this with all of my heart, that we're going to have to get them all lost in our minds and hearts without this, without this truth. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and ask you to guide our minds and direct our hearts. Us, Lord, that we will not be distracted or sidetracked from the main issue today. Oh, God, we want to leave this place differently than we came. In the holy name of the Lord, we'll praise you for it. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. I don't know exactly how to respond to Brother Bates' uh, uh, analysis there. I sort of lose myself occasionally. And uh, yet sometimes it's easier to make a face than just try to express something. I mean, it's easy to talk about sour, but it's, it's easier just to act like something is sour. But, uh, living on the bright side, I, I don't want to hold these uh, little 
punchline things. I think you tells them and then you tells them and then you tells them what you've been telling them. I thought that was real good last night. I've heard that, but it was good to be reminded of it again. And uh, I want to make sure that you know what I'm going to be doing today. I'm definitely going to be preaching on the Godhead. Now that's, I just want you to know that it, it might be different than you've ever heard before. And, uh, and again, you may be able to set me down and run this lesson right back through to me, and I don't know. But, it, but we're here for the purpose of exploring the Word of God. And if by chance something can be added to our revelation, then it was well worth this time spent. There is possibly someone here today that don't have a revelation that's acting like you do. Or that maybe you think you do and you don't. <clears throat> or maybe you are expected to have it and so you're going right along. But when the test comes, we want you to be able to stand. Now, the verse I read today was, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I, I, I do want to say that without being disagreeable, I want to disagree with everyone that believes that it's a possibility of being saved without a revelation. I don't believe you can. <clears throat> I, I think that uh, if you can be saved without this revelation, we're all fools. <clears throat> to be promoting it, standing for it, exiled because of it, laughed at and scoffed at because of it, looked at like we're a cult. That's right. The world looks at us like we're, they look at us and they have less respect for us than they do the Mormons, less respect for us than they do the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they don't have any respect for Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, so we're way below par. And I say that if, if, if this gospel is not true, and if what we're preaching is not absolutely essential, we're a bunch of fools. Thank God this is what will hold you when the storm comes. Because this is the only way that God left for us to be saved. It's this apostolic message. And if this gospel be hid, and it is hidden, it's hid to them that are lost. And my entire thought today is those that are lost are living on the dark side. They are definitely living on the, on the area they can't see. I, I wrote a little definition down here on bright. If you thought bright was light, you're wrong. Bright is a definition of, of a certain kind of light. <clears throat> there is such a thing as light, but it's not really bright. But this is bright. It's radiating much light. Much light. Radiating much light is bright. See? It's vivid or brilliant it is illustrious or glorious and those are the areas of natural light or the light that God made that we're discussing then there is a fourth definition that goes into another area and it's called in the dictionary it's a type of quick-wittedness or intelligence a bright child He's a bright individual. She's a bright person, meaning intellectually alert, able to see, bright. If, you, if anybody ever said you're dim-witted, you have been insulted. But you, if you truly are dim-witted, you wouldn't know it. And if somebody said you're bright, and if you wasn't bright, you wouldn't know you were complimented. 
And if you're really bright and somebody makes a comment either way, it don't affect you. Because you would judge the source that that uh, information was coming from. Now, if you judge them to be a very bright person and they judge you bright, then you would be complimented. But it, nevertheless, I'm just talking and having a little fun here. But we're on a very serious subject. I'm talking today about the bright side of this revelation. <clears throat> Amen. And I, I believe that I've been living on the bright side now for many years. The bright side. I recall it was in the year of 1946 that I received the revelation on the oneness of the Godhead. And I want you to know that there was no song on earth that ever has carried me and thrilled me for this many years like this beautiful revelation. I use it every day of my life. Every time I pray or every time I want to give thanks or even ask requests, whatever it might be, I use this inside knowledge. Amen. I'm glad that I'm not confused about who to pray to for what type of a blessing. My old pastor's mother-in-law, this has been many years ago, I remember her, she came when I was just a boy to our hometown, and she got up and she said, Ike, I think that you ought to be careful. You're going to make the Holy Ghost and the Father jealous. You pray to the Son so much. You're going to make the Father jealous. And she was serious because she's living on the dark side. She, hadn't, she don't have the blessing that we have. Hallelujah, living on a side that it's all blackness and darkness. And the Bible said if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. And I'm not calling those people intellectually dullards that don't have this truth. This truth comes by revelation. This, uh, you may have a, uh, a doctor's degree in several fields. And you might be brilliant in many areas. But I'm talking about living on the bright side of a revelation. Amen. I, I believe that there can be simpletons as far as this world's knowledge is concerned that God has illuminated their lives with a revelation on the oneness of the Godhead that are actually living in the bright side. And they hear music that the other world don't hear. We feel a thrill that they don't feel. Thank God there is a revelation. And if you've got it, you are a blessed person. I appreciate the revelation. I feel that we ought to be more interested in our coming generations having a revelation. I am actually shaking and trembling and quaking. I, I recall first going, uh, because of this revelation not being received by the, by the youth, but I remember going to our town in Las Vegas 22 years ago, and there were several people that I met. Now, you can't figure out who I'm talking about because I've had at least 15 preacher's children in our church, at least that many. And some of these people, and I'm talking about Jesus' name, preachers, some of these young people had been raised in their father's churches. And, and I don't take this wrong, but through the expounding or through the teaching, through the studies of the oneness of the Godhead, I've had them stand in service and lose control of their dignities and begin to scream. And their testimony was, I've lived all of my life. And this I see now. And I, I know that sounds like I'm trying to say I was a better teacher than they. But let me finish this. Today in our congregation, I have youth that don't have a revelation. 
Now, God was instrumental or used uh, my ministry to give others and to help others. But now we have, we have children that we don't want them to chew gum, but sometimes they slip it in their purse. And I look out through there, and they're writing notes and cleaning their fingernails, and they're not interested. And uh, I'm concerned. We're so, something was said about 80 to 90 percent of our ministries being taken up. I, I dealt with it a little bit yesterday. Uh, uh, the administration of certain earthly carnal things that you have to do. We have to counsel. We have to battle. We have to fuss. We have to do all of the things that's necessary to keep a church uh, running and in order. But uh, I'm, I'm wondering maybe if the real true physician spirit has not forsaken our assemblies. Oh, I know, that's negative. I, I didn't get uh, too good a comeback on that one. God, help us to use more of our time getting into the doctrines so that our youth will have something to live for and, if necessary, to die for. Amen. They're not going to die for outward holiness, and I believe it. I love it. We have it. We're going to keep it. And I love it as much as you do, and we, t we intend to keep it as long as you do. So don't judge me wrongly there. I'm saying that there's got to be something from the heart. There's got to be an energy of fuel burning down deep. Oh, hallelujah. That uh, In the first place, the verse that I've read put us off on a, on a, uh, on a definite uh, goal of if this, it, it split us out. There's some on the bright side, there's some on the dark side. And if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. If people are living on the dark side of this revelation, I want you to know they're lost. Now, if you don't believe that, I'm so, I feel sorry for you. You are a compromiser. You blessed be nothing. You are as unstable as water. You could be pushed and moved in any direction. The charismatics, can, you're like clay in their hand. But there's something that makes us different. I don't care what the charismatic nothingness uh, produces in all of their so-called message of love. If they don't know who God is, they're built on a wrong foundation. And according to this scripture, they're lost. Now, we're not rejoicing that they're lost. But we're rejoicing that we're living on the bright side. Oh, hallelujah. I've got too much material here. I've got to get going. Uh, I want to turn now to Matthew 13th chapter. And I'm going to be as, I'm really not going to be as thorough as I like to be here. But in the 13th chapter, the 10th verse... And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? I, I've often wondered my, the same thing myself. Lord, why did you mask these great truths so... Why did you blind even the people that were hearing you? How come you talked in parables and they never understood? And Jesus said, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now here, first thing, we had the, the God of this world blinding their minds, and now we've got Jesus blinding their minds. Can you imagine it? I, liked, I said this years ago, and I, maybe it was a little confusing, but I said this is a closed fellowship. Now, we didn't close it, but God only admits a few into the sanctuary of this revelation. If you have had that bright light shine in your eyes, and if you have responded to this truth, and if this great thing has come, you, you experienced a thrill when you've seen it. And you have been admitted into a very classy, classic 
it, it's a class of people that, like the apostles themselves, Jesus would take them aside and expound unto them. And they said, but why do you do this? Why do you speak in parables? He said, because I don't want them to see it. In essence, he could have said, it's not given to them to know. I don't want them to see it. I haven't opened their eyes because there's a quality lacking in their lives. And that quality is a love for truth. Amen. I believe that there's got to be a pure love for truth before any of us will get anything from God. God has got a way somehow of shutting the shutters. If you don't love truth, you're not apt to stumble onto it. Amen. This thing comes by revelation. I would say if you really want God, fall in love with truth. If truth comes, take it. We had a young man several years ago in our, when, we're, when we were just beginning and just beginning to get our people together. Young serviceman, very fine. He was in the crack troops. He was, he was the, the guy that had the spit shine on his shoes and, and he got all the medals and he was a sharp Marine. He came and I preached this truth to him and he's seen it. He, he, he actually, it just, it thrilled him so much he couldn't sit still. He was all, he wanted, oh, it was great. But when the service was over, I went back and he was a very bright boy. I went back and I said, well, since you see it and since you are so moved by it, what do you think about repenting of your sins? We're baptizing in Jesus' name. And he said, I, I see it. But I see something else. I see that if I accept it, I deny my parents. And if I deny my parents, that means they're lost. I must have got it over to him that night. And he said, so I won't accept it. I said, then you're going to be lost with them? He said, yes, sir. I'm going to be lost with them. I said, you're a fool. He came, he left, never did come back. I didn't fail. He failed. The word didn't fail. He failed. He failed to love truth. He's going to live a life of hypocrisy the rest of his days. And in judgment, if hell's hotter for one than it is another, he's going to experience a heavier degree because he's seen it and refused it. He walked away from it. I want you to know that if truth has ever shined in your face, into your eyes and into your mind and into your heart, my God, you better listen to it. Hallelujah. And if you have responded to it, you're living on the bright side and you're not being offended this afternoon. Hallelujah. Amen. God don't want people into this precious truth like hogs wallowing around and muddied up the water. This is an exclusive group of people. I'm glad. I am glad they can't see it if they don't love it. I don't want them to see it and not love it. Because if they see it and don't love it, they're going to distort it and mar it and destroy the beauty of it. You can't touch this. It's like a path that the vultures I hadn't seen. Oh, hallelujah, it's a highway that no unclean thing's going to travel on. You don't accidentally get on this road. I'm glad that God has got a center gate and you don't get on it unless he lets you on it. Well, but we're living on the bright side of Revelation.
Thank God we've seen things. Our lives have been illuminated. Our minds have been illuminated. This has become a new book. We've got an energy that they don't know anything about. We got meat to eat that they know nothing of. We got a fire in our heart and our soul they've never felt. Because we're living on the bright side. Hallelujah. Of a revelation. Whoa, thank you, Jesus. I am afraid of anybody that can't get thrilled about this Jesus name message. Amen. And I'm not trying to intimidate you to be thrilled today. If it's not there, it's not there. So don't be intimidated. You can feel a little rebuked if you want to. Because you don't love truth, perhaps. All right. Um, I wouldn't put these things on, but I've got to. I can't see without them. All right, 13th chapter now of, of Matthew. We've went there. Jesus, not only did Satan blind their minds, and it's Satan's good job. If he can keep you from truth, he's got you. Because of our gospel, be hid, it's hid to them but lost, and he'll blind your mind if possible. He'll throw up everything in the world to keep you from seeing the truth. But even Jesus himself, there's something else that's separating those who love truth and those who don't. God himself also doesn't want anybody into this exclusive fellowship that don't love truth. Amen. All right, I'm going to go to the book of Isaiah, and then we're going to enter another chapter of our thinking. Isaiah uh, 45 and 15. Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself. Why would God hide himself? I'll tell you why. He doesn't want ever, ever ungodly paganistic mind in the world exploring every detail of his beauty and glory. Hey Amen. There's a few things about God that people don't see. And he, he, he's not got a complex. If you don't see it, that doesn't hurt him a bit. Hallelujah. Our God can stand without your appraisal. And he actually hides himself. Thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. <laughs> Hallelujah. He has hid himself through the years and through the ages, through the eons. Even in the Old Testament, there was only a few that ever really got a, a glimpse of him, and even they did not totally see him. Amen. It was, uh, it was through the years he hid his name. I said this one time, got in trouble with somebody. I believe Jesus has always been the name of God, but wasn't revealed until the last days. Uh, maybe some of you don't believe it, but I believe that uh, when they asked, what is your name? He said, uh, why do you ask, seeing it as a secret? He didn't say, why do you ask, seeing I don't have one? He said, why do you ask, seeing it as a secret? Amen. He reserved that name to be revealed by his personal representation. Thank God. And when that name came, it came in its fullness and in its glory and in its power to save. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The name of Jesus is the name of God. Jesus is the name of the Father. Nobody knew it until Jesus came who was the Son and revealed the name of the Father. Jesus said, I came in my Father's name. Amen. If Jesus' name is Jesus, he came in his Father's name. His Father's name was Jesus. Nobody knew anything about it until he revealed it. But I'm glad for the name. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the only name ever given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. 
And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Amen. It doesn't matter things in heaven, things in earth, things beneath the earth. Ha <laughs> ha. The name of Jesus is where the power lies. Thank God Father is not his name. Son is not his name. His name is Jesus. Oh, he said, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm feeling good. And I do hope that we continue feeling good. I'm going to get into something a little heavier now. And uh, just try to have confidence that, that it's going to be all right. This eighth chapter of Hebrews. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. He's been doing a lot of talking, and now he's going to sum it up. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary. He is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle. Now, that's the tabernacle that you and I are enjoying today. It's the true spiritual tabernacle. Uh, it's, in fact, uh, the very thing that Brother McMullen was preaching about last night. It happened to be that tabernacle was the weakness of God as it was portrayed to us last night. And that would, uh, we read it, the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. God's the one that created that child. He's the one that fathered that child. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifice, wherefore it is of necessity that this man has somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou makest all things according to the pattern showed to thee on the mountain. <clears throat> we had the earthly tabernacle, which was a pattern. It was not the thing to be confused with the real. The earthly tabernacle was nothing but a pattern to suggest or to teach or to help open our understanding so that we could receive the true tabernacle, which was going to be harder to understand. The true, the true tabernacle is a blinding thing that become a stumbling block. Now hear me carefully. To the Jews, what was he? He's a stumbling stone, wasn't he? To the Greeks, he's just foolishness. But unto us, oh, hallelujah. Unto us that's living on the bright side, thank God he is everything. Oh, praise the Lord. To the... To the Trinitarians of today, he's still a stumbling stone. To the Jews of today, they still say that he was just an illegitimate child. Uh, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, he's not divine. They, they, don't, they do not believe that he's divine at all. They believe that Jehovah, the great God, the Father of all, he's the divine. And that's what they're out for is to promote the name Jehovah. Uh, incidentally, no apostle ever heard that name. They never did. Jehovah was added to some 300 years A.D. The Tetragrammaton was added, uh, the consonants or the, the vowels, whatever. Uh, they had to add it so it could be pronounced. J-H-V-H, W-H-V-H could not be pronounced, and so Jehovah was added. We accept it. We're not fussing with it, but we have an understanding of it that that's not the name of God. 
If you think Jehovah's the name of God, then you've been thinking wrong. And I don't, I don't like to say that because nobody likes to be wrong, but I just have to say it because it is. It's a fact you're not right. Jehovah is not his name. Jesus is his name. Amen. Jesus is not a byproduct of the name Jehovah either. Thank God it's always been the name of Jesus. And, and our God masked the name of Jesus by giving the tetragrammaton. Uh, forgive me, I, my tongue got tangled there. Tetragrammaton. Is that right, brother? Tetragrammation. All right. Grammaton. Meaning four letters in the grammar. Okay, we'll go on. Where was I? <laughs> We was at the fact that God pitched this, and it's harder to understand and see than the natural was. And so God gave us a natural. And when he gave us the natural, he said, this is only the pattern. It's the pattern of the truth. And he went on to say that it's just a shadow of heavenly things, just a shadow. Now, I know that most of you are familiar with the tabernacle, and I don't intend to be a, uh, this to be a dry Bible lesson on the tabernacle because it is it could become dry. I mean, we could count all the silver sockets and the golden pins, and we could count the cherubims, and we could go into all of the yardage that's in, that was uh, in the canvas that made up the courtyard, and and we could talk about all the different coverings and uh, the colors and all of the all of the symbols, and we could go into all of that, and and, and you would you'd be. Well, that's very interesting. <clears throat> very interesting. It's more than interesting. Those things that seem to be so insignificant, they're, they're all significant. However, the most significant thing is things that sometimes are overlooked. And if you will allow me to use this little... Uh, uh, ability that God has given me, I will try to very quickly go into a demonstration of my view of the tabernacle. In the first place, it's what was happening in the tabernacle that was important. Amen. If there was nobody there, and if there wasn't any blood being shed, and if there wasn't any fire and any smoke, and if there wasn't any candles being lit, and if there wasn't something happening in there, then uh, it, it would be a very drab lesson. But something was happening. I want to go now to the ninth chapter. Picking it up with the first verse. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. That means earthly. That would be the old tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlesticks and the table of shewbread which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil. After the second veil. I'm going to be talking about the veil quite a bit the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all which had a golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and uh, goes on into the fact that there was cherubims as seventh verse but under the unto the into the second veil went the high priest only once every year and not without blood now, the first tabernacle, or the first room, was open public all the time. It was open to the priests all the time, all the time, all the time. You'd go in and out, in and out, in and out, if you were a priest. But the second compartment, or the second room, was only opened up once a year to the high priest, 
And he went in, but he had to take blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. And listen to what the 8th verse says in the ninth chapter of Hebrews. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way unto the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure of the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make them that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience. It stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of Reformation. And that was not Martin Luther. It's when Jesus Christ came and reformed the entire thing. Amen. Jesus is the great reformer. Martin Luther reformed nothing. He died a Catholic, thought he was a Catholic, had a Catholic funeral. He was a vile man, an adulterous man. Martin Luther, if he got the Holy Ghost, he got it on his, he got it on the, Q, on the, on the awful quiet QT. He thought he was a Catholic all the days of his life. Now, I'm going to say this, that if he did get baptized in Jesus' name and got the Holy Ghost, uh, nobody knew anything about it. But if he did, he got a chance of being saved. But if he didn't, he's hell bound. I don't care how soft you want to peddle it. Let me tell you what. Anybody thinks Martin Luther made it without the Holy Ghost, without being baptized in Jesus' name, a Trinitarian until the day he died, you don't have a revelation. I don't care if you've been preaching 40 years. If you believe Martin Luther made it, you don't know who God is. Now get mad if you want to. Amen. I believe we're in the majority here today. Hallelujah. feel safe today. I want to go on into Hebrews just a little bit further. This would be the 13th chapter now. And the, uh, my goodness. I have that marker at the 11th. So I'll declare I thought I knew this Bible. Help me, Jesus. Tenth and the nineteenth. I was on the wrong line. I know the Bible, but I don't know that paper. <laughs> I wrote the paper. <laughs> All right. This would be the 10th chapter, 19th verse. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want to zero in on the verse these uh, 19th and 20th verses, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, a new and living way, a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, us, not them, not the whole wide world, but he's consecrated it for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Hallelujah. Can you? I, I, I just hate to carry one of these things. It, it hampers my movements. 
If we were on a high mountain looking down at Israel, you would see their camps round about in order under their various standards. It was an orderly thing. But your eye would be drawn irresistibly to the center of it all. And there would be a little smoke coming up always, continually. The fire never went out. You would see a courtyard from this aerial view. And that courtyard would look a little bit like maybe a, a fence, maybe like a tennis court that's got a little fence around it. And you'd be looking down inside, and inside that courtyard, which was the court of the Gentiles later, at that time there was no Gentiles around, but it's where the common uh, Levite had access, and even the common Israelite had access to go into the courtyard, but he had to stop there. Uh, then there would be the, a little square, rectangular-looking building, which was not a building, it was a tent. It was covered with uh, skins and woven fabrics of goat hair and such. I don't want to go into the details of that. I could, I think, every respect. It really did. I, I wish we had time to go into it. It was beautiful. The outside was ugly. It was, uh, somebody said, badger skins. I don't know. It was covered over around about with a very ugly covering that was not appealing to the human eye. But on the inside, it's very beautiful. The, the thing that uh, would attract your attention next would be a flaming altar made of brass out in front. Before, the, before you go into the front door, there would be an altar there. And uh, there's a lot of activity around there. Uh, cattle of all descriptions, doves, different animals, vic victims of sacrifice was yielding their lives. Their blood was being shed. And the blood from that sacrifice was being put on the altar of sacrifice. The carcasses were being burned. The various parts of the entrails would be saved. Some of it would be burned. Uh, sometimes they burned everything. Hoof, hide, hair, guts, everything. And uh, it was all burned. But uh, different offerings, different sacrifices for different sins. And then you would see uh, the guilty person as, uh, as the offering was made. They, were, they would put their hands on the head of the victim and go with it to the ground, thus transferring their sins to the victim. And uh, then the blood would be taken. The priest would take it from there. Then the priest would go to the laver. The next thing would be the laver. Uh, laver was a big brass uh, standing pot uh, that had water in it. And they washed their feet there and they washed their hands because blood had splashed all over them. And uh, the Bible said if you go into this uh, holy place, uh, you, you might make it. But if you go into the holiest of all without washing, you're going to die. You're going to die, I tell you. You're going to die. And uh, so let's, uh, the daily happenings, let's skip that for now. But let's go to the one annual, the one annual trip that the high priest, he makes an offering at the altar for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And he has on the special garments. He's wearing the ephraim. Everything's in order. In his mind, he's being very careful because if he goes into the holiest of all and he's omitted anything, he'll die. So he's very careful to not omit anything. He is very careful not to go in there without blood. And so he does everything at the altar he's supposed to do. I'm, I'm trying to get to something over here. <clears throat> so help me. And then he goes to the laver and he washes his feet and he hands. He does everything he's supposed to do. He opens the first curtain. 
and it's heavy, it's elaborate. It's not nearly as elaborate as that next curtain. But when he opens the first curtain and walks in, he finds that there's a little room there about 15 foot wide and 15 foot tall and, and I guess 30 foot deep. It's 10 by 10 by 20, wasn't it? And that's a cubic, that's the length of a man's, see why I don't like it. It's the length of a man's hand from his elbow to his fingers, about 18 inches. And in this room, there was a candlesticks of gold, seven of them, that uh, represents all the beautiful things that you know about, the light, uh, the Holy Ghost. Over here was a, a golden table that had chew bread on it, which represents the Word of God as we see it today. This is how I see it. If you'd see it differently, then I, I give you that whatever you want to believe it is. It don't matter. Over here is the, represent the Holy Ghost, the light. The Holy Ghost gives you light to see how to eat. Without the Holy Ghost, you'd be wondering what you, you might get a hold of an old shoe sole or something. But with the Holy Ghost, you can see what you're eating. And I believe it takes the Holy Ghost to put the light on the Word of God. Hallelujah. To me, this is just little things that I'm trying to get on up here. Then up here, there was a, a, a little square podium-looking thing made of gold. And it had a fire on it that somebody had went with golden tongs and picked up the fire off of the first offering. Uh, altar and brought it in and put it on this altar and this is called the altar of prayer incidentally the same power of conviction that brought you to repentance that same flame that same conviction that same move of the Holy Ghost will bring you to prayer again even after you're in the church this area I believe represents the church age and we're living in the church age this was made of gold the fire that was burning here was the same fire that God lit himself. You remember the brothers that tried to, they let the fire go out and they tried to build their own fire? We got a whole lot of fire starters that's trying to make a fire that God didn't start. Amen. It's going to take that original Holy Ghost, that original, I don't care how old you was when you got it. You might have been in your teens, you might have been in sub-teens. And you could have been in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, whenever it was. But there was a time that God took his magic finger and he reached down into your heart. And he touched you and turned your life around. That's the original fire that God starts. And nothing can start that but God. Love for a mother can't make you live for God. Love for your father won't make you live for God. Amen. Duties and obligations won't make you live for God. But there is a fire that comes from God that will make you forsake your life. Hallelujah. And that's the same thing that will bring you to prayer even in the church. It's a thing that will keep your knees bent. Thank God. I thank God for the prayer and the altar of incense. And we are familiar with all of this. But after the high priest, over 27 places as I read it, had anointed, uh, dropped the blood. He sprinkled the blood all over the floor, put the blood all over himself. He put the blood over the tables of shoe bread, blood on the candlesticks, blood at the altar of incense. Uh, he checked, went over his checklist, everything. in no hurry either 
because he knows that if he does one wrong move, the God of heaven is not going to accept it. God is an exacting God. He's got to have it right. Amen. Just any old thing's not going to do with God. We're going to have to live it. We're going to have to know who he is. We're going to have to be born of water and of the spirit. He's not going to accept just every old ignorant thing. Amen. You couldn't offer a pig on his offering and then go in there. It had to be a lamb. And finally, when the high priest with trembling knees, with a quake in his voice, he approached that last curtain, that last veil, and he reached out, perhaps with a little bit of uncertainty. I don't know what I know. I would have been careful. They even tied a rope, history has it, around the leg. And he had a bell and a pomegranate alternate all around the skirts of his garment. That in case he got in there and died, nobody else could go get him. So they dragged him out with a rope. They believed God would kill him. And I believe God will kill anybody that gets on holy ground. Thank God that ought not to be there. I think we ought to draw near with a pure heart. Amen. A clean conscience. He pushed that curtain aside. And he walked in. Oh, my goodness. Did you bring a flashlight, sir? How about a candle from one of the seven? Did you leave six in there and take one with you? No. No, don't need a light in here. Why don't you need a light in here? Well, I just stepped over onto the bright side of the veil. I stepped over in the bright side of the veil. I can lay my light down now. I got both hands free now. I can move around in here and do what I'm supposed to do in here now. There's two bright angels there. And between those cherubims, there was the mercy seat. There's that ark. There's those golden tongs. While he's in there, he's got to put blood on a few places. And when he's got finished putting blood everywhere he's supposed to put it, I've always imagined it this way, that he had a little bit left in this little pot that he's carrying this little vessel and I've always just this is how I see it that when he had put the blood everywhere he needed to put it finally he just took the residue of it and just poured it on the mercy seat and it was like 4th of July sparkler or much much greater than that but the Shekinah of God it was already light in there but it got so bright he would probably have to put his hand He's living on the bright side of the veil, understand? Amen. God himself, the Shekinah of God, the very, the very being of God, a concentration of God. God is light. Is that what the Bible said? Thank God in him there's no darkness, there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. Thank God on the bright side of the veil, God was there, and the light of God began to shine, and the high priest began to feel good because God had accepted his sacrifice. God would smile on Israel one more time and he living on the bright side of the revelation. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He could see. And something was happening out there. The Israelites all standing very tense, wondering what was going to take place. Wondering, God, are you going to accept our sacrifice? Are you going to roll our sins ahead one more year? And suddenly somebody says, There it is. There it is. Look. The cloud. It's hovering. It's moving. Look. The Shekinah of God in the form of a cloud came and hovered over the holy place. 
and a shout went up from the camp. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I just imagine there's a whole lot of people saying, Ah, oh, God, accept us one more time. Ha, 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 ha. Ah, oh, glory. Oh, we're going to make it one more time. God accepted it one more year. Manna will keep falling. We're going to have the cloud one more year. and We're going to have the pillar of cloud at night or the pillar of fire. God has accepted it one more year. Yeah, you talk about a jubilee shout all over those hills. Thank God when they, when the priest stepped over into the bright side. Whoo! And he could see. Amen. I got to hurry. What time is it? All right. Help me. I want to, that's the veil. The Bible said the veil, that is to say, is flesh. I want to bring one more little thing, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit. Let's go to the book of Exodus. Oh, Jesus. In the book of Exodus, I, I'm not going to read this, very much of it. It would be... Uh, 14 and 19 and the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed he was up ahead of them but he removed and he went behind them and the pillar of the cloud went before their face and stood behind them and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and it was a cloud and darkness to them but it gave light by night to those so that the one could not come near to the other all night hallelujah Lord why do you speak in parables why do you speak in parables, Lord? Well, let's go back to some of the old examples. All the Egyptians was weeping. The Lord had passed through the land. There wasn't a house in all of Egypt that there wasn't a dead one. And while they were squalling and bawling and couldn't see for tears, the Israelites slipped out. Down to the water they went. Finally, Pharaoh got wind of what was happening. He ordered his army, and here come his army with all the chits. Israel couldn't go for their water and go the other way. There was a mountain. And somebody heard something coming out of dust. said, oh, Moses, you should have let us die down there. Look, they're going to kill us here with the water. What well, to God, you hadn't even come along and let us out. Look at the trouble you got us into, Moses. Moses, he knew where to go. He said, Lord, they're blaming me. But you sent me to bring them out. The angel of the Lord that was out ahead of them. Oh, so he just went around behind them. And when he got behind them, he was a dark cloud to the Egyptians. Here they come with their snarling, foaming steeds, whipping up their horses. Men running as fast as they go, and suddenly, ha, 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 haul it, haul it, haul it. Wait a minute, they start running in each other, tailgating one another, all the mess that they went on around there. My goodness, people probably got killed. I don't think God cared. Just a few more, he wasn't going to have to drown in a few minutes. They couldn't see. 
Hey, Joe, Joe, Joe. Yeah, Mac, yeah, yeah. Why? are you? I can't see a thing. Did I go blind? Like the fellow that ate the banana. Just as the train went on, never had a banana before. You heard that, didn't you? Train going in the tunnel. Just about that time, fellow never had a banana before. He went, hey, 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 Mac, Mac, Mac. Don't eat your banana. Don't eat your banana. I ate mine and went stone blind. He thought that banana did it. I don't know what them, I don't know what those Egyptians thought, but they couldn't see. They stopped. It was over. The horses didn't want to run when they couldn't see. They stopped. Everything stopped. And the cloud just hung right in there. <laughs> I got you. You think you're smart, but you can't see. Because I got you. If this gospel be hid, it's hid to them we're lost. You're going to make havoc of my people? Ha, <laughs> ha, no. No, I got you separated. You can't see what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing, and I don't care if you know what they're doing or not, because I got you blinded. Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? Because I don't want them to see. Why don't you want them to see? Because they'd come over in your camp and mess you up. They'd bring in worldliness, and they'd be holding hands all around the congregation and holding hands under the table while they pray, and they'd be doing a lot of things that uh, <laughs> that's, you'd say, oh, that's good. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. You ought to see them in our town. They got a beard that stands out like this, great big mustache, smoking on a cigar, hair all hanging down, look like a nut. Yeah. They'd be on the back of their bumper, it'll say, K-I-L-A, if you love Jesus, blow your horn. And when you drive by, uh, they might have a can of beer in this hand, cigar in their mouth, the radio turned up to some hip music, and, and the whole car's bouncing because they're just doing this way, some, some ungodly rock music. And the whole, I, I don't know why they call it rock. Car rocks. Everything rocks. I don't want that group of people uh, on my side of the cloud. I don't want them on my side of the veil. You say, don't you want them to see the light? Yeah, but I want them to come through the water before they see the light. That's what I want. There's got to be a difference. Slipping in out of the gate? No way. Uh-uh. On the other side, Israelite was saying, I, I didn't, I thought it was just about evening time, but this is strange. I can see everything and everybody. This has been a 24-hour day. It just don't get dark around here, does it? I'm glad we left Egypt because it just don't get dark around here. There's always light. Living on the bright side, you can always see some light. Thank God if you get to the very bottom, you can always look up and there's a little light. I thank God that we've got a truth we can hold on to if everything in the whole wide world crumbles. If everybody gives up what we call our standards, and if everything goes, everything goes rotten, some of us that's had a revelation, living on the bright side, we're not going to get disheartened and down because we can still see the righteousness of God. We can still see the holiness of God. We can still see the beauty of the revelation of God. And I, I, if I was an Israelite, I would have been glad to have been living on the bright side. And of course, you know how that the next day, under the, under the shadow of that cloud, Israel made their escape through the water, and the Egyptians didn't see what was happening. But finally, when they did see what was happening, they thought they could go the same way without repentance. Hey, man, you can't make it. It'll be your graveyard. Thank God if you try to make it without repentance. I believe man ought to repent before he's baptized.
You know what? You baptize somebody before they repent. You baptize somebody before they died. And you baptize a live, you buried a live man. Oh, hallelujah. All right, I'm getting close. I have a tendency to spend too much time in areas that would be fun to stay in. But I want to move on. Uh, the cloud. I'd like to go on through that Red Sea. <laughs> I'd like to get Myram on the other side of that tambourine. <laughs> you know she had our time? Hallelujah. Thank God. And when they seen the enemy, they're blinded enemies. The enemies was blinded. Hallelujah. They rejoiced. You know, on the other side, there wasn't nobody around that couldn't see. They all had good visions. I, I just, we're not going to read these verses now, but in St. John 4, 24, the scripture said that God is a spirit. <clears throat> That's what he is. The blind people say he's a person. But the scripture said God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 1 Timothy 3.16 said, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, who was a spirit, was manifest in the flesh, yes, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory, and all those things was God. But I like to, I like to look at it this way. Well, let me, let me, read, let me get to the next one, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Now, that was God is a spirit. Everybody remember that? What is God? What did the Bible say God was? What did St. John 4.24 say? God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now those people that are blind say, No, honey, God is a person. Don't you see? There's three persons in the Godhead, darling. And God is a person. They're just as blind as a bat. The Bible said God is a spirit. And Jesus and in the 24th chapter of Luke, I believe it is, said, Touch me and handle me and see a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. We call God or Jesus the incarnation of God because that's what he is. The word carne, what is carne in Spanish? That's more Spanish here. Chili con carne. That's meat with chili. Meat meaning flesh and when God was incarnated what it really meant it was that the spirit became flesh my mind went another direction brother Tom but I ain't going that way right now amen I believe that Jesus is the incarnation of God I really believe he's the only incarnation of God I might get into that before and not even want to, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the only incarnation of God. Hallelujah. Well, we go on. God is a spirit, and that great spirit of God, who was pure spirit, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The spirit was made manifest in the flesh. Now the word manifest, I like this example. It means that he was exhibited. If you manifest something, you exhibit it. 
If I were to manifest, I have a little pair of fingernail clippers that I bought in Germany, Switzerland or somewhere. And when I reveal it, then it's made manifest. The spirit was revealed in the flesh. I am not twisting the scriptures. God, who is the spirit, was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, priests of the Gentiles, believed on in the world. God did that. The spirit did that. You can't see a spirit. What do you think about him, Moses? Well, I, uh, I heard a voice and I seen a burning bush. And so you would think that the God... Uh, Yes, he's be a burning bush to me. When I think of God, I think of a burning bush. Uh, what about you, uh, Jacob? Uh, well, he was an angel that broke my leg nearly. Uh, he, uh, I think of him as a wrestler. <laughs> Joe? Oh, well, I tell you, you ain't going to believe this, but <clears throat> it's a whirlwind. God is a whirlwind, Joe? Well, he spoke to me a uh, whirlwind. What about you Israelites? Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God, what are you? What are you, God? Are you a cloud? Are you a bush? Are you a flame of fire? Are you a voice? Are you a whirlwind? What are you, God? He pulled a curtain back. That is to say his flesh. And we looked in. Hallelujah. I meant to tell you what a veil is all about. But a veil is to hide from view. A veil is to hide from view. We use shower curtains to hide from view and to keep the water over on the other side. But you use curtains in your windows to hide from view. You, the, the women in Pakistan wear veils over their faces. I guess to keep you from just being tore up with their ravishing beauty. <laughs> and if, if my, if what I've seen serves me right, they need to wear them to keep you from being frightened. <laughs> A veil hides from view. And we read that it said the veil. That is to say, his flesh. His flesh has blinded the minds. He's the cloud that's darkness to the world. All they can see is a second person of the Trinity. Uh-huh. Right? He's blinded them. They can't see who God is. They're confused. He's blackness. He's darkness to them. But unto us, hallelujah, we're living on the bright side of the, of the veil. We're living on the bright side of the veil. Hallelujah. His flesh presents no problem to you and I because we've got a revelation. It's the mighty God in Christ. To wit that God, who is the Spirit, was in Christ, who is the flesh. God was in there doing something. God was in that flesh behind that curtain. Now, if, if I were invisible, you couldn't see me. You, now, you can't see me. You can't see me. <laughs> so I take 
garments, and I put them on. Now what are you seeing? You're seeing the only thing you can see because you can't see me because I'm spirit, but I'm wearing clothes. Yeah. So you can see me. Uh -huh. Now God, who was a spirit, you couldn't see God. But he clothed himself in flesh. Right. And when he made certain claims, the Jews got mad. They said, you, being a man, make thyself God. That's why we stole you. Who do you think you are? You're just a carpenter's son. You know what they're doing? Fussing with the veil. And the veil knew all the time what was just inside the veil. That'd be like the high priest coming up and saying, I don't care what to say. You ain't in there. I don't believe you're in there. He better, with that attitude, he better not find out. And I thank God that there's been a curtain dropped. I absolutely am happy that this is a fellowship of those who love truth. I would love for everybody to know it. But I don't want it to be mutilated and distorted and, yeah. and walked on and muddied and marred. Yeah. Thank God we have a royal revelation. Thank yeah. God we're living on the bright side of truth. Yeah. It don't matter what they do. I don't care how many they claim they win. Thank God they're in darkness and they don't know who Jesus is. But I know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. You know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. I know who Jesus is. Hallelujah! There's an old song that said, Do you know who Jesus is? Or do you know what the Bible says? He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Oh, praise God, I'm living on the bright side. And I know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Glory to God. It's no longer a great big problem. I've, you, know, I've, you know I've reached the, the uh, apex. I've reached the top of the hill. I haven't got anything else to say, but I'd like to use this as a springboard for one other thought. There's a doctrine that came through our ranks, and if you've preached it, I, I beg your forgiveness if I stand against it in this area. Really, I humbly don't want to step on anything you've said. I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. But the doctrine was that, that you and I, as pastors, are the king of our congregation. And if you've preached that, forgive me. I don't mean to humiliate anybody. I, I say it with all sincerity. But when this doctrine came through that I was the king of my congregation, I had to, I couldn't accept it. I will say this. I am their pastor. I have a place of dignity. I have a place of honor. And Brother Prater is here. I think he can testify to the fact I have a place of, of great respect. God gives that to a pastor. I, I want for nothing. I long for nothing. I, I don't covet anything any more than what God's already given me. But I don't want to be their king. I want God to be our king. There's another reason. Is that the Bible said that we're all kings and priests. Do you believe that? Now the Bible said it. You've got to believe it. There's something that a priest has a privilege of that the common person don't have. And we're all priests. If you've been born of water and the Spirit and you've entered into the bright side of that 
veil. You're a priest. And a priest has a privilege that nobody else has. And this is the privilege. I want to read it. I got one more verse. It's First uh, Corinthians. Oh dear, I've skipped a whole chapter. I'm going to. I'll have to leave it. Well, can I pick this priest thing up again in about five minutes? All right, then let's go to First Corinthians. 15th chapter, I'd like to say something that Brother McMullen got on last night and uh, was very pleased to hear him say it. This would be 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under him, under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I, I believe that the veil has, has and is working its perfect work. You and I, have got a peak on the other side of the veil. And we wouldn't hardly know how to live without this veil. This veil to us becomes a symbol of the love of God. It becomes a focal point for our prayers. It becomes a focal point when we need healing. We think of his stripes. When we feel like that we've sinned, we fall at the feet of Jesus that died for us. And we remember his words, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. When we, when we need him for anything and when we decide to praise God, uh, we're looking at the veil. We're praising God at the veil and we are slightly blinded yet. It's only when we take the time to push the curtain aside and walk into the Shekinah that then we begin to see God in his greatness and his fullness. He is still a curtain. But uh, something happened the day that Jesus died. <clears throat> the curtain in the temple of Herod, it was not the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was the temple of Herod. When Jesus died, the sun hit its face. They said that, that the chickens went to roost, and the dogs began to howl, and the earth began to shake and quake, and things began to happen, and soldiers, those brave men, that had been trained to stand against all types of odds. They stumbled and they staggered and they cried out, surely this was the Son of God. But something that nobody knew was happening was happening. Down at the temple, God himself made a little trip in there. And he walked over to that curtain that had been separating the common... It was only an annual visit. Only one man a year could go in there. The common priest could not go in there. And God looked at, at you and I in his eye. And he thought, no, I want him to be on the bright side. And with his finger, with one stroke, he split the curtain from top to bottom and throwed it open, thus paving the way that we can enter boldly. We can enter boldly. We can. Thank God we can enter boldly. And so that curtain is still there. We still see it. 
But I read to you that there's coming a day that the one, that would be the Spirit of God, that put everything under the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, it's evident that the one that put everything under his feet was accepted. That means excluded. It didn't mean uh, exception in the other way, but it was accepted in that he was excluded. Jesus never subdued the Spirit. Jesus never brought the Spirit under control. The Spirit brought him under control. He was a tool of God. He was the curtain. He was the veil. The Bible said he was the veil. Amen. Uh, to wit that God was in Christ doing a job. He was in there reconciling the world unto himself. I like to think of it as Jesus being a hollow person. Nothing inside. But God moved in and filled his entire being. And when Jesus looked at you, those was the windows. That was God in there looking at you. There was times that he looked at you as a man. But there was times that God would wash the window a little bit and look out. You know, Nathaniel, when Jesus said, I saw you while you was there on a tree, Nathaniel knew nobody seen him, and he knew what he was praying. He knew that was a close connection between him and God Almighty. And he immediately fell at his feet and said, My Lord, my God. Amen. He was asleep. You know what was asleep? His flesh was asleep. They woke him up. Master, cure us down not if we perish. Look, the water's coming over. We throw everything over. We're going to die. Don't you even care? He got an Oh, you have a little faith. That was the flesh talking. He stepped out on the deck, looked out at the winds. And then he used that mouth. And the God that was in Christ said, Peace, be still. And the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. Peace, be still. He wept on the way to the tomb. That was his flesh. God was in Christ. A dual nature. He wept on the way to the tomb. <laughs> Master, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. He, he's only asleep. Uh, yeah, he's asleep. Now, I know, we know he's going to live again. At the resurrection. Something inside said, I am the resurrection. And the life. What was that talk? God couldn't be still. He had to talk. I am the resurrection and the life. Roll the stone back. Now this was something inside that talked. Something that knew Lazarus. Better than Lazarus knew Lazarus himself. And the thing inside said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. Why? That was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And Mary and Martha, all they seen was the veil. Who is this man that no man else talks like that? Who is this man that comes walking on the water? You know why he didn't go down? Because the spirit wasn't going to sink. The spirit up in there like a float. Hallelujah. I tell you, he was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And he might still be blinding our minds somewhat today, but there's coming a day that the one that put everything under the feet of that thing that was born of a woman, everything including death, hell, and the grave, he will have subdued everything through his obedience to the Spirit of God. Amen. That, that manifestation of God, 
that incarnation of God. He was going to be triumphant over every devil, over everything that ever came, over every falsehood, over every accusation. He's going to stand firmly over everything that ever existed. He will have conquered it all. And then, the flesh is going to turn around and render all the glory to the thing that was in the flesh doing the work all the time. You say, you see two gods there? No, you're living on the dark side. I see God in Christ. You say, well, then what will it be? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible said it does not yet appear what we are going to be because we're going to see him. Then we're going to be like him. I know one thing, that he had a, uh, he had a body that's different than the one we got now. He walked through a wall. And yet he could eat fish. Now, there ain't nothing on earth can do nothing like that. There's coming a day, and I know you don't like this, but there's coming a day that we're going to not be looking through a glass darkly. There's coming a day that the Apostle Paul, who had a marvelous revelation, you can't deny it, he said we're looking through a glass darkly, but then we're going to see him without the veil. We're going to see him face to face in his real royalty, in his full deity. I tell you, we couldn't stand it now. We'd die. We'd curl up. We couldn't handle it. I remember when Moses, all he did was heard, heard the voice of God and the, and the Ten Commandments and the plan of the tabernacle. He came down off the mountain. His face was so bright, they had to put a veil over him to even look at him. And today, we're still looking at God through a veil. And it gets so bright now, you can't hardly see. But there's coming a day that God, we won't need Calvary anymore. I know you can't hardly imagine yourself without Calvary, but you won't need it because you won't be no more devil. There won't be no more sin. You won't need Calvary because you won't need to be healed anymore. You won't need a lamb anymore. There won't be any more death. You say, I can't imagine living in heaven without a lamb. You, well, the lamb got you there. You won't need no more. I'm telling you, the veil's going to be taken away, and we're going to see God in his fullness. You can say, well, I, I don't want to live in heaven without, without Jesus. Jesus is going to be there. Don't worry. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him as he is. Not like he was during that little space of time. The scripture said he, who while in the days of his flesh offered up a strong supplication. In the days of his flesh, he walked to a Calvary. In the days of his flesh, he became weak and let men drive uh, things in his hands and his feet. In the days of his flesh, he was falsely accused. In the days of his flesh, he submitted. Amen. He submitted to the cross and died in my place. But there's coming a day I won't have to die. And I won't need Calvary. You say you're rejoicing because you don't want Calvary. I need it now. Oh, I need it now. And I thank God for it now. But there will be a day, a bright day. Living on the bright side. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. Hallelujah. When we won't need a lamb. We won't need the veil. We won't need anything. We're going to see him in the richness and the fullness of his real, real, real true identity and existence. He's a great big God. And then he made the stars. What's that to God? You just wait. You think, do you think heaven's going to be boring? Oh, oh, oh. oh, God, open. I remember one time there was a prophet said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord just pulled a veil off of his eyes and he looked and the whole heavens was full of angels. Oh, yeah, Elijah. I, I think we're okay now. 
God, if God, if God were to pull the veil completely out of our minds right now, we couldn't handle it. The veil, that is, says flesh. We still need it, but we're living on the bright side of the veil. We are living on the bright side of the veil. Hallelujah. You glad to be living on the bright side of the veil? I'm glad I'm not blind. You glad you're not blind? Hallelujah. Oh, we're blessed. We're privileged people. Thank God for this truth. I thank God for this truth. Now then, we're kings and priests, and I'm going to quit. What, what is the... There is a special privilege that a priest has. And the priest took up where the common man stopped. He took up at the altar. The priest had a right to the throne, to the throne room. The priest had a right to the altar. The priest had a right to the altar prayer. The priest had a right once a year to walk into the holiest of all and go right before the mercy seat of God to make intercession for the people. The high priest once a year had a right. He alone had a right to go through the curtain and walk up to the mercy seat and the Bible said to make intercession for himself and for the people. Am I, am I right on that? Now, if you don't know uh, and you're quiet, okay. But if you know, you need to give me some support here. Did the priest have that right? He had a right to go in and make intercession for the people and for himself. Now, we have a high priest that didn't make intercession for himself. He didn't have to. But he went in and made intercession for us. And the Bible said he's now before the throne of God making intercession for us. But you and I are priests. We're priests. I'm a priest. You're a priest. You're priests. Even you ladies. In God, there's no such thing as male or female in this particular instance. As far as this pulpit is concerned, there is. But when you hear that somebody's in trouble... You're a priest. you got a right. You walk right in. You walk right in through Jesus Christ because you know who he is. And thank God and the, and the thing's been split so that you don't have to wait once a year. You can go in anytime you want to. Anytime you want to. And we're sons of the high priest. we got a right to that thing. And we walk right into the mercy seat of God. we got a right to intercede for ourselves and for our friends. Our prayers ought to mean more. If you can see this today, your prayers will be more powerful in your own appraisal than they've ever been before. You, you, I, we as priests have a right to the mercy seat of God. We've got a right to go there every day, many times a day. It's wide open. The curtain has been open. We're living on the bright side. We can get right in on the inside and look and see how things are. Thank God for a right to the mercy seat of God. Hallelujah. There was uh, a lot of prayer taught. And I don't mean to come against anybody's teaching. But prayer has been broken up into all kinds of little segments. To where you got to figure out what kind of prayer you're going to pray before you start praying. And then they say that after you prayed so many hours, then you can pray intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer, it's been told us, is the deepest, most meaningful, and I believe that. But I think that, I think that we've been 
our faith has been hurt just a little bit, and we think that we're not privileged to pray the intercessory prayer because we're not really consecrated enough. We're too busy praying for ourselves. Do you know what the entire thing is all intercessory? Every bit of it. We're interceding. We're interceding. Interceding. We've went in beyond the veil before the very throne of God. We're not confused with the Trinity. We're not confused. Amen. We're not there feeling some kind of complex. You ever go someplace where you knew you wasn't supposed to be like a nice fine restaurant and a pair of Levi's? Everybody around you dressed in nice black little bow ties. They wonder how you got in there. And you just don't walk in there. Well, unless you own the place yourself. I mean, you feel ill at ease. A lot of us feel ill at ease when we go before the throne of God. We feel like the fellow that smote his chest. I'm not worthy. I just like to lift our faith in, in a true vein tonight, this, this afternoon. We are definitely privileged. We have a right to the throne of God. We have a right to intercede. Sometimes I'm driving and I think of something, and I go right straight to the throne without any mess. I don't have to get passage through the gate. I don't have to talk my way in. I don't have to say, hey, hey, pardon me just a minute. Look, here's my credentials. I, I, I'm a son of the king. Uh, I was born in 1946. I got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. Please, can I make an intercession? Three hours later, get to make an intercession. It's just like this. Oh, God, I'm one of your children. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm going in on the bright side now. I know who you are, and I love you, and I love your name, and you know who I am, and I'm going to intercede now. Right here, I'm bringing the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's too rich for you. You can't take that. You need, a, you need somebody across town that's got some Trinitarian doctrine to lay hands on you and pray for you that, to intercede for you, huh? Let me tell you, a Trinitarian in the world can intercede for you for anything. He's on the dark side. I know you're not supposed to use names, but, but Jimmy Swagger don't know a thing about God. He's just a show. No, any, any of you people watching Jimmy Swagger, you shouldn't be watching him. In the first place, if you're hearing him, you shouldn't be hearing him. If you're going down there to see him, you shouldn't be doing that. He, he's against this message. He hates us. He's blinded. He don't see it. I'm glad he don't see it. Really? He'd mess it up. He'd take this truth, drag it through the through the cesspools of the world. Oh, but you can't touch this truth. This truth is great. This truth is beautiful. Oh, hallelujah. Well, there's a lot of other people I'd call their names if I knew them. There's a whole lot of them done down, gone. A.A. A. Allen, you've seen what happened to him. Branham, compromiser. Branham claimed he was one of us. This is before some of your time, I'm sure. But I remember as just a little young fellow just got the Holy Ghost, William Branham came through town. Biggest mess you ever seen. He never interceded for nobody. He became a, a disgrace. Yes, he was one of those that tried to muddy up our ranks. Right. I'm thanking God that money took him away from us. I'm thanking God that he went on over into where he should have been in the first place. If he had had a revelation, he never would have messed with Trinitarian doctrine. 
I tell you, the wool was never pulled off of his eyes. He never one time lived on the bright side. Now, I know I'm getting vicious, but I'm telling you, we're different. We're different. We're different. We're not like nobody else in the world. Don't you ever forget it. We're different people. There's nobody in the world like us. That's why we sometimes almost look like we're crude and cruel. Hey, we know who we are. We got a right to the mercy seat. We can intercede any time we want to. We don't need their helpful hand. I tell you, you go to a bookstore and read a book written by Dale Evans and, and uh, what's that cowboy husband of hers? Roy Rogers. They don't know nothing about God. And this singing crooner that comes out, uh, what in the world? His daughter sung a big song here not long ago. What's his name? Huh? Pat Boone. He's a charismatic and he don't know God. One of my dear friends went and talked to Pat Boone. He looked at him and he says, I consider you an enemy to Calvary. I consider you an enemy to Calvary. You? He's such a sissy little approach. God. That, that bosom friend of mine wiped the dust off of his feet. A testimony against this charismatic fellow that's in darkness, can't see. Off singing all these beautiful songs. And people are just thinking, how could Pat Boone be lost? He's so sweet. <laughs> oh, look at the darling. I'm glad that they don't see what we see. They would drag it in the dirt. Jesus spoke to them in parables. The God of this world blinded their mind. We're living on the bright side. We ought to be happy about it today. Thank God we ought to be able to run the house tonight shouting over the fact that we know who we are. You talk about intercession. You talk about intercession. We're the only people on earth that can intercede. Can you say praise the Lord? Well...